0: Well, good morning, and uh, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving and are probably so stuffed and full that you're going to have a hard time staying awake, right? Well, you know, um, a few years back, really, I think it was almost 12 or so years ago, in my spiritual journey and, and walk in, in faith and trust with God, I prayed to the Father I said, Father, I want not just faith in Jesus, but would you begin to give me the faith of Jesus? Little did I know how that little prayer meant that God was going to begin to start doing all kinds of work of stretching my own faith, developing my character, because it's out of that kind of character that real faith comes and building that internally. And I'm not really... um, Strong on patience. That's not one of my strong suits. Um, you can ask my wife. In fact, we every year we do Christmas decorations, and last year I kind of helped did some lights outside. And I I have to tell you, it is I hate putting lights up. Anybody enjoy that just immensely? <laughs> well, that's always been kind of a struggle in our family, you know, the whole Christmas thing. And this year I actually engaged in the whole thing and and helped my wife and um, I even did it like a happy cheerful elf whatever you want Um, and I have to tell you that struggle and growing in that way um, it just takes time to grow and develop and to see faith developed in your life in, in anything you do in the development of character which is the is the holding place of often that faith that is strong and we are in this age of instant everything. you not patient to get things done and, you know, to, uh, to put up lights like that. And, you know, it takes hours, you know, to do that. And, and we want everything to happen quickly. I remember my father told me once when he was walking through a, um, a uh, store, one of these malls, and as he was going along, there was a little kiosk, and it said, ears pierced while you wait, as if there's some other way you can, you know, here, I'll just leave these for an hour. We're in this micro of age where we want everything right now, right? And we want that in our faith. And we don't realize, obviously, faith is that gift that God gives us when our heart is open and humble. But it's also something that we're very much responsible to develop and, and to grow. Because Jesus would look at his disciples and say, oh, you have little faith. And he would pray, increase their faith. They'd ask, increase our faith. Faith is a skill. It's a trust Um, that is developed in relationships with a husband and a wife, in relationships with spouses and work settings and churches it's something that god over time develops and and i want you if anything just to think about in your own heart some of you may be here and never stepped in a church or haven't for a long time or you've been checking it out i always kind of say like you're kicking the tires like you do is this something that i could grow is this something that could be meaningful in my life where i could learn more about god and for you just to, to actually put faith in jesus is is a is a step But for some of you, you've put faith in Jesus and Jesus may be calling you and has been and maybe these words just put it in a way to to begin to exercise the faith of Jesus. Really think about that this week for you. I mean, when you think about the way that Jesus trusted His Father implicitly and, and then because of that and that response saw the works of God take place. But it doesn't happen easy. It's not a quick thing. It doesn't just happen overnight. And some of you, I know, I can look at you and And you could stand up, and some of you did last Wednesday night, and you have shared how God over the years has developed and strengthened and given you that faith of Jesus where you've begun to see not only a confidence that you have in God no matter what the circumstances are like, but you have this confidence deep within your own heart that that God is involved in your life, even though it doesn't look like it. But that happens over a struggle. And that's why I love the Psalms. And that's why I like these heart cries of the Psalms. And that's when I think of Christmas. And you think about Christmas, think about the 400 years of silence before the coming of Christ. Talk about faith stretching. How do you like to be in year 350? God hasn't moved or worked and He's been silent. Yet there's this promise that He's going to come and deliver His people and you wait and that's kind of where we're at as we start advent we're in this time of this longing and wanting and yet when you look at the psalmist the thing i love about the psalmist and these heart cries of the psalmist are that they're so perfectly honest with regard to their relationship with god they're so honest with regard to what's going on within themselves and that's the only way people grow in relationships is when you get real and you get honest and you don't avoid the conflict, begin to put it out there and work with it. And so in the conflict of your own soul and your own spirit, if you're not actually getting to the place where you can be honest with God and really let that, that whole stuff come out so you can be in relationship with Him, you won't grow. You can't pretend to get yourself into it and you cannot just... If you want, you can avoid it. But the path to real growth of your own character and your heart and your relationship with God comes from an honest struggle, and that's what we read in Psalms. So when you look at Psalm 77, you see this honest struggle. And the psalmist questions God, and these questions actually keep him up at night. I don't know if you're like me, but usually when the day is happening, you're distracted by all activities. But when you lay down at night, you kind of put your head down and you, you... for some reason your mind can begin to really move and wander and all these things are happening. And and that's what's happening. In the first part of this psalm, these first few verses, and this is a lot like the psalm we looked at last week. It's a cry of Asaph. Last week he cried out and said, God, why do the good guys seem to lose? You know, I look around the world and it seems things are unfair. Here is a psalmist who's not crying out, why do the good guys lose? But he's actually crying out, God, where are you when I need you most? And it's a two-part psalm again. The first part is a cry and complaint to God. Uh, it, it's the honest reflection of what's going on in his heart and soul. And then there's a hinge verse again in verse 10, where he has to... He, it, things change. There's either God meets him in Revelation or, or through the responsibility of his own acting in faith. Something happens, and there's an interchange, and God does something. But these first few verses, if you look at it, he's crying out to God, verses 1 through 2. He's been waiting. He's not losing faith, I don't believe, in God. He's faith in the fact that God maybe cares about him and you may be in that situation some things that happened in your own life and you kind of are in this place and you go God why would you allow this to happen and you 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 really believe there's a God but you're really wondering whether he cares about you this is a perfect time in your own life to begin to open your heart and allow God to stretch your faith in his goodness even though it doesn't look like it and so he's crying out and he says I cried out to God for help I cried out to God to hear me See, he really believes there's God, is out there. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. Often difficult times cause us to look to God. You can look for all kinds of quick fixes, but he looks to God. At night I stretched out untiring hands. It's like all night, and God, I'm God, i just, where are you now? I need you. And my soul refused to be comforted. If you notice both verse 1 and verse 2, you see the strength of his crying out to the Lord and the length of his crying out to the Lord. He cried out. It's no slight concern. The pain is deep within him. It can't be held within. I love again Peterson's translation in the message. And he says, I yell out to my God. I yell out with all my strength and might. I yell out at the top of my lungs. It's really funny, after last Sunday's message and I talked about the struggle, spiritual struggles are really real. We have to be honest with them and recognize that we go through those. I can't tell you how many people after the service or through the week from this church came up to me and said, Thank you. Thank you. I needed to hear that. I needed to be voiced. I had lunch with someone who who shared with me their own struggle in in the loss they had of a child and, and how that person was Actually, um, going through these times where we just yell out in pain. And he, and he said, I, didn't, I thought I was going kind of crazy. And so then I went to a grief support group and I, I finally had the courage to kind of voice that and found out five or six other people were going through the same thing. Oh, man, how healthy it would be for us to be able to be the kind of people that can be real and authentic and kind of share our struggles. That's what I want God to create with us and in us. He says, I sought the Lord, and that night I stretched out untiring hands. My soul refused to be comforted. This is not some one-time spontaneous kind of, he was just hurt, and now he's crying out to the Lord. This is something that maybe went on for a couple days, a week, months, where he was just crying out to the Lord. He's calling out. His soul refused to be comforted. It's really interesting. There was no easy answers. There were no quick Bible verse that he could really take and it also just comforted his soul. Have you ever laid in bed where you just can't get comfortable? You know, you just keep tossing and turning. That's what's going on with his soul and his spirit. Internally, he just can't get he can't get comfortable. He can't get at peace with what's going on. And he's wrestling. And he's turning and tossing. He doesn't have a wife next to him like mine, who's just stop it. You know, that kind of thing. Verses 3-6, through he says, I remembered you, O God, and I groaned, I mused. and You know, my wife doesn't do that. Anyway, (laughs) I was just thinking she's so kind. Anyway, I remembered you, O God, I groaned, I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. What I think is interesting, if you read those verses, his thoughts were consumed with his personal pain. So painful was this in this situation. Notice how many times he talks about his thoughts. His mind is just consumed. He says, I remembered, I mused, I thought aloud, I remembered, my heart mused. And then he says this, and when I thought about God, and and really when I thought about the lack of God's attention right now in my situation, the fact that he hadn't intervened, he hadn't moved, he says, I groaned. Ever had that where you can you just you're wrestling? You can't get still. You can't get quiet. About it. people can share things with you. It doesn't really go to the heart. And then all of a sudden you're just internal. You just you, is moan is what it is. In fact, the word in the Hebrew is the same word that's used often when it speaks of the roaring of the sea. Get that picture of the roaring of the sea. That's what's coming out of him. So deep is his pain. And on top of that, he says, "When I think of God." and his not doing anything here, it just causes me such such a visceral response. And he says, not only that, God won't let me fall asleep. He says, you kept my eyes from closing and I was too troubled to speak. God seemed, in a sense, to keep his eyes wide open. Or at least he says God does. And his pain was so deep, he couldn't even express it in words. And then in... In this whole process, he says he tried to remember better days. I thought about the former days, past years, and then he tried to do the things that helped settle him down in the past, and they just didn 't seem to work now. He says like he said, I, my songs' in the night, and, and he would you know, maybe he would sing songs or he'd play songs, or he'd do those kind of things that would settle his heart, and nothing seemed to work. none of the things he thought about in the past nor are those things that he would do that would settle his heart. Go down for that cup of tea, didn't seem to work, you know, none of that. And then he says, I continue to reflect and he says, my, I fought and my spirit inquired, which led to six questions that were kind of burning up in his heart. Verse seven, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he, in anger, withheld his compassion? He asked six questions that if you were to ask those questions at a time when things were going well, your answer would be, of course not. Ah, that's not my God. My, well, my God loves me. You know Things are going well. But now things aren't going well. He's at the depths of his struggle, and he's asking these questions, and he's really wondering, is this true about God? Simply, he's asking, has God abandoned me? And he's asking, where is God when I need him most? Which leads to this verse, verse 10, (coughs) which is a very interesting verse, and I struggled with it until this morning, even when I was struggling through it, going, now, God, how do you want me to say this here? The, The verse is really interesting. In one way, it can read, then I thought... Instead of to this I will appeal, he he says, This is my sorrow. And the years of the right hand of the Most High could actually be translated, The right hand of the Most High has changed. So in his thought, he gets really brutally honest. He's asked these questions about whether God is really going to be this way with him. And he gets brutally honest and he says, God, you know what? Your right hand, your sovereignty over this situation, your care for me, which intervenes, I guess you've changed. And he gets honest. And almost in that honesty, there's also this sense of this cathartic outpouring because it can also be translated this way. Because I think as he's wrestling through this and saying, God, you you have changed, he began to realize, and God broke in, and he realized the way it's translated here. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now you read that and you go, what in the world? See, at the height of his struggle, in the depths of his despair, He once more thinks, I thought, he says, then I thought, and he makes a choice. He makes an appeal, not to God to come and change his circumstances. He makes an appeal, not that God would come and and somehow intervene in his struggle. He makes an appeal to God and his character alone. He says, then I thought, I have a choice. Here are my options, these questions. To believe God rejects those He has chosen. To believe God will never show favor again, even to a repentant heart. To believe God's commitment is weak as my own. To believe God's promise is as strong as others who abandon me. To believe God forgets. To believe God holds a grudge. That's not the God that I trust, that I know. And He makes a choice. And in place of sorrow, in the midst of the grief, in the midst of what I would call also spiritual sickness, He says, I thought and I appealed to this truth, the years of the right hand of the most high. In a sense, as I lie in bed or am on my knees or on a walk, riding my bike or in my car, wherever it may be, I have a choice to believe you are who you revealed yourself to be. Or I have a choice to believe my circumstances and my struggle right now. That's the choice of faith. It's a choice of trust. It says you are who you revealed yourself to be. You are good. You are by your right hand. The years of your right hand. The idea the times that you have revealed yourself in the past to others in the midst of their difficult struggles. You have proven yourself to be good and to be loving and to be kind. And I have a choice to either believe this or to believe that you don't care one bit about me. And in that midst of, of that struggle, he makes this choice. whether you intervene or not in this situation, he says, I will believe who you have shown yourself to be. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing at the furnace of flames. As they're standing there ready to be thrown in, this is what they say. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And He will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if He does not, We want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. It's that simple choice that says, you know what, I'm in the midst of this. I I need you, God, to show up in my life, but I realize that more important than whether you even do right now is the fact that in the past you have proven yourself. And, And this is who you state you to be, and I will choose to trust that. There's five steps, I think, to strengthen your faith, of moving from what I say just faith in Jesus to the faith of Jesus, this expression of the character that begins to develop in your own heart and soul. And the first is to choose faith in God, not in what you want or you expect, not in what you see. Here's what I know to be true in your word, God, over the years through the testimony of others. You are a God who shows yourself to save, to intervene, to act, and to care. And even though I don't see it in my situation, you, this is who you are in your character. And I'm going to put my faith in that. God is faithful and loving and kind to all who look to him. He will actually, the word, the right hand, the idea of the right hand is that he will actually flex his muscle on your behalf. It reminds me of Jesus when he was in the boat. You remember with the disciples and, and they were going across the sea from one end to the other of the Lake Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And... And a storm came up, and here are the disciples in the midst of the storm. Peter, a master fisherman, master boatsman. He's out there and the storm is actually turning and tossing the boat to the point where it'll almost capsize. He is trying with his buddies to keep the sail afloat. they have got pails and they're bailing water out of the boat. And he looks around and he doesn't see Jesus anywhere. And and so he goes, I gotta find he goes back, he finds Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat. And Jesus is sitting there sleeping, and and, and Jesus, um, he kind of rouses him, and Jesus kind of looks up at him, and in the midst of this storm, and I think Peter's saying, Jesus, grab a pail, we're in trouble. And Jesus gets up, and he stretches and walks up, and he walks into the the boat in the midst of the storm, he looks up and he yells, quiet! And it gets still. And then he looks at his disciples, and and the phrase he uses is really interesting. He says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? He was using this as a teaching moment, that in the midst of the storm, that when Jesus, when God is present, even though he may be sleeping and seem to be totally uninvolved and and not understanding what's going on, he's asking, where's your faith in the midst of this? It was almost as if the question is like, did you leave it back on shore? You know, like if you had a wallet, did you just leave it back at the house? In a sense, he's saying, you know, in the midst of this, just pick it up and trust. And so he chooses faith. And then he goes and he begins to exercise this very faith. That's the second step. He exerc- exercises faith not in what you hope God will do, or again, what you want. But exercising faith, again, in who? The character of who God is and, and, and what that means. Verses 11 and 12, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. There is this sense now where he's beginning to say, okay, I don't see you operate in my, in my case, but I'm going to trust. I'm going to pick up my faith. I'm going to trust the fact that even though you seem to be silent and don't care about it, it doesn't seem like you're intervening in my situation. I'm going to actually exercise by disciplining this truth that you have worked in the past you are a god of miracles it's been proven people have testified to it it's in your word i'm going to test the, and trust this fact of the of your work on behalf of those who look to you even though i'm looking to you and i don't see anything he says i will remember now he's not remembering and thinking just of his struggle and his own situation and allowing that to roll over and over in his mind. Now he's thinking about how God has worked. And it's a discipline to do this, to direct your heart to think about not just your own situation and to, and to struggle and to try and resolve and you know how you can wrestle in your mind, of, oh, if I do this, I do that, or maybe I need to do this, but you begin to let go of it and go, you know what? I'm not going to worry about that, I'm going to trust in who God is and what he's done in the past. And so in a sense, you actually exercise, just like, you know, no one likes, you know how everyone just loves to, to exercise and run. It's just, you, sometimes you have to just start to do it, and as you do it, it gets more comfortable, so to speak. Well, that's what he says. Choose to take your eyes off your current circumstances and fears. Discipline yourself to say, I will take my eyes off of me and put them on you, and I will remember what you've done. In in a sense, you must resolve that my mind has spent enough time meditating on my situation and the things that I should or I could do. I spent enough time trying to figure it out. I'm going to resolve to start to put my mind on who you are and think of what you've done. He talks about miraculous deeds, mighty deeds, all your works. And then he does a, second, a third thing. This, this whole process of choosing to pick up his faith and this process of beginning to exercise what he knows to be true moves to a, second, a third step. And that third step is that he declares his faith. In a sense, he says, I believe you are now who you once were. You are in the present who you were in the past. You are not like a man. You do not lie. You do not change. You do not shift like shadows. Verses 13 through 15. He says, Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. In a sense, what he does, he's by faith. He moves the past into his own present, and he declares it out loud. He says, God, I believe, as I've just testified of what you've done in the past, that your ways are holy. And he declares that. He says it out loud. You know, if you note here in verse 15, he ends by referring to the Exodus. But you also have to note there was a certain point in in, in Moses' own life where he had to learn this faith of moving from his own faith into the faith of expressing God. There was a sense, if you look at the life of Moses, he knew that he was to be called as a special chosen child of God. He had heard from his mother about how he was saved from these bulrushes and, and how she was raised by him and that God in some special way had called him for a task for the people of God, the Israelites there. He was then taken in the courts and raised in the courts. He had all this going on. And he gets to a certain point in his life, and it says in Scripture that he was out one day watching how the Egyptian, an Egyptian, was treating an Israelite. And I have a sense that he was praying and struggling, say, God, how do I set my people, your people free? How do I give them, in a sense, better conditions than they have right now? I don't know if he was thinking of leading them back to some promised land. I think in his mind, he was thinking, if I just somehow intervene as one who is a part of the court's, of Egypt, that the Israelites will see this and rally behind me. So what does he do? He actually gets into it and he kills the Egyptian and instead of the Israelites rallying behind him and going, let's get him. You know, because all he, you think of all the slaves that they would have just said, you know, we've got one on our side. You see, in his way, he was going to try and figure out the situation and circumstances and he began to realize that in his own flesh, in his own way of working it out, it was never going to be worked out. In fact, what he thought would happen was just the opposite. Instead of them rallying behind them, they started accusing him and saying, well, you know, he's the guy. And what has happened is Moses goes for 40 years, and God uses that time to, to work in his life until God comes in, calls him back. And I bet you anything through that whole process, he had a huge struggle of faith. And then God calls him back and says, let me show you how we're going to do this. We're going to set these people free. Moses is scared to death to do it. You move from this place and you pick up faith, you exercise faith, you begin to declare that, God, your ways are holy and different. Isn't that interesting? He said, your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as, as you, God? He's coming to this place, he's going, I kind of have thought of all different ways you could intervene and do the things you need to do in here. You haven't done it. I'm going to trust that you're good, that you love me, that in the midst of this right now you're not acting, but I'm going to trust the fact that your ways are holy, my ways maybe aren't. I won't pull the Moses thing, although some of us all do, Right. And I'm going to let you intervene and do it the way you want to do it. And the word holy is really interesting in the in the, um, in the the Bible. It doesn't necessarily mean moral goodness. You know what the word holy means? It means different. It really means different. It'd be as if you had a bunch of pianos here and you had one piano over there. That's what holy means. It's uncommon. It's not like the rest. In a sense, he's saying, God, your ways are so different than our ways. Who would have ever thought that you would part a Red Sea and have people march through it to save them? Who would have ever thought that you would march around a walled fortress seven times, blow some trumpets, and the whole thing would fall down? Who would have ever thought, amidst uh, standing in front of this giant named Goliath, that a little boy would take a sling and a stone and throw it and knock him down? Who would have thought... Who would ever think while you're lying in bed, rolling around in your head, trying to figure out how to do it, that, that God has a way and all He's asking you to do is to pick up your faith, to exercise your faith, declare your faith that God, your ways are holy. And then to wait and be patient and let that faith in who He is become stronger than the way you want it done, Maybe. You know, sometimes to declare your faith in God over a situation, the the mere verbal spoken declaration can actually break the grip of doubt over your heart. Do you know that? By actually speaking out faith, it has the ability sometimes to break that which grips your heart. And I think that's why he does it. He says, your ways of, oh God, are holy. What God is so great as our God You are the God who performs the miracles. You display your power among the people. You've done it in the past. I'm just going to trust you now. His heart is beginning to settle down. And then he strengthens his faith because he now looks at a specific situation like this one of Moses I just talked about in the Exodus. And he strengthens it. He says, I understand now, God, not only do you love me and you care for me, for some reason I understand why you're not intervening, but I believe that your will is stronger than any will. And he strengthens his faith by this. He knows that what God wills will happen. If God wanted to and willed to, he could intervene right then. But for some reason, he hadn't. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have the power to do what he needs to do when he needs to do it. So he looks at verse 16 through 19. And he says, the water saw you, O God. The water saw you in writhe, The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. You see this picture of what's happening at the Exodus. <clears throat> There's a storm and, and some think there may be an earthquake and these violent winds are going and you see the clouds, the storm clouds and the lightning flashing back and forth. And here's Egypt and the soldiers coming behind them. And here's Israel. They could have taken the shortcut. And God says to Moses, no, we'll take the long way. Brings them to the edge of the sea. They're standing at the edge of the sea. Here is God standing with them. And here's the water seeing God. And they're going to one another. These little molecules of water going, the creators here, back up. It's, it's almost like that. That's almost what he wants you to see. The water is going up. God, go ahead on through. And God goes through, leads his people through it. He says, "Your thunder was heard in the world. When your lightning lit up the world, the earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your path led through the sea. God was there in front of them. They didn't see it. In fact, as he goes on, it takes faith to even believe what God did in the past. It always takes faith to believe that God loves you. He cares for you. He will intervene when it's right. And at the time when He has set, will be there. He will not in one. He won't delay one moment when the time is right. There's nothing that can hold Him back from doing what He wants to do." And so, here is God leading them through, and it says this. You, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters. Under this. Though your footprints were not seen. Isn't that interesting? Though your footprints were not seen. You know, when they got through, <clears throat> they're looking for these huge mammoth footprints. Can't see them anywhere. Because it's an act of faith. So that you... You actually choose faith. You begin to exercise that faith. You declare that faith. Your ways are better, God. Your ways are holy. I don't understand it right now, but I also strengthen my faith knowing that there is no will that can stand against your will. The Pharaoh human power, that's what he wants you to see, could not stand against it, nor natural circumstances. That natural forces of water couldn't stand. When God chooses to do something, all of earth moves out of the way. For you. For you. God loves you so much that when the time is right and He wants to move or He wants to act, He will move in such a way that He will do that for you. He will make Himself known. He loves you that deeply. But all of us struggle with faith and say, God, why did You allow this to happen? Why did this happen? What is going on here? But all we can do in our human response, as the the psalmist does, is get real with our struggle, work through that struggle, and as we get honest with God, we begin to move to that place and we, in a sense, say, God... Either your ways have changed, or you are the same today as you were yesterday, and you love me. I'm going to move into that. And I can know that no obstacle, no obstacle will stand against the will of God. None. There is no will stronger than the will of God. Whether human like Pharaoh or natural like the Red Sea, all must submit and flee before God's overpowering will no matter what your circumstances. And what God is looking for is a heart that just responds in faith. And the fifth step is this, just keep faith in God. Just continue as you pick up your faith and as you exercise that faith and you declare that faith and as you begin to see it being strengthened through looking how God has worked in the past, you begin to keep the faith, not in what you currently see, but you know who God is. Verse 19 and 20, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, through your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. His simple conclusion is God, you've led in the past, you will lead in the future. You'll lead in the future. Some of you, God is saying, you know, you're in a situation, you're in a place where for you, the struggle is to say, I'm just going to believe, God, you are who you said you are. I just want to have faith in you, God. I, I just want to believe that you really care about me. You love me. And, and and right now, it's not about you and it's not about what you can do. It's about the very fact that God does And Trust is merely saying, I, I agree to it. I confess that I'm open to it. He's acknowledging your need of him and just saying, I want that. For some of you, you're in a place where it's not just faith in God. You know God exists, but you need to ask God, God, in a sense, as you've been walking with him, I want the faith of Jesus. I want to see the expression of Jesus in my life. And I can tell you, when you ask that kind of thing, and you walk with God in that kind of way, you will go through difficult times. You will go through trials, because what God wants to do is build within you the very character of Jesus Christ, so that you can do the things that Jesus did. You can love people the way that Jesus loved. You can give to people the way that Jesus gave. You can hold your boundaries up to protect yourself the way that Jesus did. I mean, all those things that create the kind of health, that make you the kind of person that allows God's will to flow through like He did through Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand here in this final moment. Lord Jesus, we have gone through a a season of thankfulness. And Father, I would pray that as we move into this season of Christmas, a season of expectation, that God, our expectation would be upon what you want to do within us, the faith you want to create within us in this body. Lord, help us to take right now our eyes off of our own situation and, and begin to trust and to put our faith into who you are. Father, I confess, even as I pray this, that it's so much easier for me to talk about this than to do it. So I don't want to give any kind of sense of falseness here. This is the struggle of the heart and soul that longs to walk with you. the quietness of your heart, if you've had some place in this time as through this service, whether through song or whether through this message where God has been speaking to you just pick up your faith and say, Jesus I'm going to trust you I'm going to trust you I'm going to declare that although I'd like it to be this way I'm open to a different way That you would choose and reveal. Father, we thank you. And we offer ourselves to you. Recognizing that you are the same today as you were yesterday. And as you will be in the future. You are faithful. In Christ's name.